0: to minister with him under the big tent on two occasions and when he'd pray for the sick and I tell you what that's you know Brother Copeland said praying under the big tent with Oral Roberts was an experience of a lifetime. I can understand that it's the same as uh, praying under the tent with Brother Schombach and I told Robert I said I would like to have all of those that you have available because they were all on tape and they have to be transposed to digital and uh, I said I want to run them on VTN. Our network and uh, it, through Roku goes to all the states, in the United States, live stream overseas, because I want the people to see the anointing of the healing evangelist. Yes, I want them to see how these men and women, and I have a whole library of what is called God's generals, and somebody went and, and built this and put all the footage that you could find anywhere. They have they have footage of Smith Wigglesworth. Uh, they have uh, footage of AA a. Allen AA uh, a. Allen uh, they would bring people uh, to him out of the insane asylum or out of a hospital or whatever he would he'd go over to the cot and he'd just grab them by the hand and jerk them up out of their wheelchairs and throw them on the floor and he'd just now you got to understand these people operated under the gift of faith the gift of faith has nothing to do with your faith it's a gift that the holy spirit manifests and Brother Hagen told us one time, he said it was the easiest thing in the world <clears throat> to get people healed in the days of healing because that's what God was doing. And of course, they had some awesome situations. I joke about it sometimes because Brother Schembach, I, I asked him one time that when he prayed for people that needed healing, especially in the back, if you have a back problem, he'd tell you to bend over and he just, and he was a big man and a big hand, and he'd just go, whoop, and hit you in the back. And everybody I saw him pray for would just fall out. So I told him, I said, you know, I'd fall out too if you hit me like that. I said, <laughs> why do you do that? Why do you pray for people that way? He said, that's the way Brother Allen told me to pray. Uh, told me to pray and he showed me how to pray. And, and he said, I don't know what I'd do if God didn't heal those people. But he said, that's the way <clears throat> I work in the anointing. And he tells a funny story about, one time in a A.A. Allen meeting, they brought some people in from the local insane asylum. And there was this one lady in the back of it. And they didn't have sophisticated stuff like we have today, but she was full of the devil and she was brought in in a station wagon. She's laying in the back of the station wagon. And they had her bound so she wouldn't you know, hurt herself or run off. And so when they pulled up and this woman was talking, demons were talking out of her and all kinds of stuff. And A.A. Allen said, Bob, now he He called Brother Schembach, Bob. He said, now, Bob, this one's yours. (laughs) He said, you get her delivered. So Brother Schembach said, I started climbing in that back of that station wagon, and I was going to lay hands on her. He said that those demons started talking and cursing me and calling me all kinds of names and blah, blah, blah. And he said, all I knew was to plead the blood. So he just said, I started singing. Oh, there's power in the blood, power in the blood. He said, and those demons hollered out of her, don't say that. Quit using that name. Don't say that. And Brother Schembach said, I got them now. And he just climbed in there, <laughs> laid hands on her, and got her delivered. Yeah, now, we don't see much of that anymore because, you know, the church has gotten, um, they've really gotten off is what they've gotten into. But They got into religion and visitor-friendly, seeker-friendly, trying to conform to the world instead of bringing the world uh, into to the church manifestations, and I want to show people that part of of ministry. Now, there's still a lot of people working in the area of healing and deliverance, and the gifts of the spirit still operate, but not like they did then. This was the result of the actually several generations uh, that went through the great Tribu- uh, great uh, depression, fought World War II, came back, and America entered into a healing revival in the late 40s, early 50s. And that's where a lot of these churches saw supernatural. Uh, Brother Seymour out in California, if have ever heard of Azusa? Uh, Jeannie and I, I worked on the Azusa Commission to bring uh, the 100-year anniversary to Los Angeles. And I worked with some of the churches out there. Fred Price had a uh, one of the meetings in his church. Uh, another church had purchased uh, the house at Bonnie Bray Street. Uh, which was just a little little video house, probably wasn't even thousand square feet, uh, on Bonnie Bray Street, right downtown Los Angeles, where William Seymour, who was legally blind, but he would pray in a with his head in an apple crate, and then he would stand up and preach, and on the front porch of this house, no amplification, and they had so many miracles and so much uh, going on there that the neighborhood complained. Uh, So they moved it down to Azusa Street in a a livery stable. And that's where the Azusa Street revival started. It It was a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Ghost. And people came from all over the world to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they'd go back to their respective countries. And that's right after, I think Azusa was from 1906 to 1910. Well, the Assemblies of God started in 1914 in Hot Springs, Arkansas. That was a result of the Azusa Street Revival. People went to Los Angeles, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and brought it back, and the Assemblies began in 1914 in Hot Springs. So that's the history of just some of the things that that are uh, taking place. Well, when you begin to want to minister and flow in the Holy Ghost, Jude warned uh, the church. He said, now, I, I want you to contend for the faith because if you don't, it, you, you'll lose it. It'll it'll get stolen. It'll dry up. So you have to uh, contend for it. Now, over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 3. This know also that in the last days, and we're in those last days now, perilous times shall come. Dangerous times, that's what perilous means. For men shall be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Now, this is descriptive of the dispensation that we're in right now. We're in perilous times. We're not in the tribulation, and we're not in World War III. In fact, if you see all the commercials about being afraid of Russia and a nuclear war and um, what's some of the other countries that are threatening or involved, North Korea, uh, different ones, and they're sending out these test uh, missiles with armament on them. There will be no nuclear war until after the rapture of the church. Praise God. Cannot be. Ezekiel 38 and 39 is where Russia invades Israel from the north, which the scripture says they will do. So there's there's not going to be any World War III or nuclear um, war until after the church is gone, because Second Thessalonians says the church company is the agents that are restraining that from happening. They cannot it cannot happen until we are gone, until we are after uh, out of here, and then after that the Antichrist the beast system, the false prophet, all of them will set up on stage and then you'll begin the great tribulation period. So these last days are perilous days. So how are we supposed to live? How are we going to make it through this time? How are we going to live without the the, the church being an, uh, powerful and anointed with the gifts of the Spirit? Because many many places are not. Um. Things aren't falling apart, they're falling in place. You ever heard of the, um, the initials are S-E, let's see, World Economic Forum, W-E-F. The World Economic Forum is an organization that's headed up by George Soros, a multi-billionaire. And they are influential and they are giving millions of dollars to politicians political parties, to try and control America. They're European in in nature, but they're trying to control America. They're the ones that finance all of the uh, communistic, socialistic, antichrist, all of those projects. They're the ones that are behind it. Have you ever heard of the term global reset? You heard people talk about a reset Actually, what the world is talking about is a reset from, communi- uh, from capitalism to, to socialism to communism. They want to get rid of capitalism. And so this, uh, this uh, global reset is funded by George Soros. He's using every available means, television, social media, politics, uh, you name it. And they are against capitalism, they're against America, and so they want to convert America over to a socialist country. So everything that you see that is anti-America, anti-this, anti-that, is all being funded by the World Economic Forum. The, this is where the money is coming from. And let me just throw this in here too. Now some of you may, may be aware of this, maybe not. Uh, you'll occasionally see on the news where the Federal Reserve is going to hike interest rates just a little bit more to, you know, prohibit inflation, runaway inflation, whatever. Have you ever studied the Federal Reserve Bank? Now, I know we had to study it when we were in high school and civics and so forth. Most people think that the Federal Reserve Bank is an agency of the federal government. It is not. The federal government has nothing to do with it and has no control over it. And when you talk, uh, the, when the Fed, Fed chairman comes on the TV and tells you what they're going to do, uh, he is an employee. The Federal Reserve Bank is a privately owned bank by, owned by most of the banks in Europe. And this is a profit-making deal. You know, when 9-11 happened, the Federal Reserve stepped up and said, we'll loan you all the money that you can, we're going to put all the money we need to rebuild America. Well, those are loans that the American taxpayers, uh, know it or not, they're guaranteeing that, that note to the United States. So the Federal Reserve is going to step up and we're going to take care of this, and we're going to take care of that, but they don't tell you that your federal tax dollars are going to pay the interest on the note. So there's all kinds of things. I don't want to get off into that as a rabbit trail, it'll go a long ways. But there are a lot of things that go on that we don't even know about. And uh, I think it was Thomas Jefferson, uh, I think he made the first statement uh, about the Federal Reserve Bank that he said was unconstitutional and, and shouldn't be, and there were other later politicians. And uh, you remember when the, the United States was on the gold standard? Uh, we could only print as much money as we had gold uh, in the treasury to sustain it. Well, in 1913, they did away with that. In 1933, they recalled all of the gold coins in America. I was a young boy, not, not, not 1933, I wasn't, I'm not that old, but in 1933, my grandfather, my mother's father, he refused to turn in his gold. And when I used to spend a lot of time with my grandfather, I guess I was maybe 10, 12, 13. We were going to town one day. And he reached over and he handed me a gold coin. And it was about the size of your little fingernail. It was a a, a $10 gold piece. And he handed me that and he said, here, grandson, I want you to have this. He said, I'm supposed to turn all my gold in. He said, but I'm not going to do it. (laughs) And he kept it. Uh, Well, it was punishable by a fine or uh, jail time, but he didn't turn in his gold. And so we went off of the gold standard. And now we can just print as much money as we want to. You know, whatever we need, we just go print the money for it. Well, Germany tried that. Other nations have tried that, and, it, and it, the, the nation goes bankrupt. It doesn't It doesn't work. So there are a lot of things that are going on that affect us as citizens that we don't know anything about. And so you need to study some of these things. Uh, the global reset, uh, according to the socialists, is just a transfer from capitalism to socialism. But in the Bible, a global reset is when the church is raptured and the Great Tribulation Period starts. That's the biblical answer to global reset. Jesus dealt with it in Matthew 24. When the rapture takes place, and I'm going to deal a little bit more with this a little bit later. When the rapture takes place, the United States of America will never recover from the rapture (coughs) because there will be so many millions of people missing. There will be no people paying income tax. There will be uh, uh, there will be no um, how will I say there will be no income from the people because uh, you know they estimate a third between a third and you know a half a fourth and a third of the population will be gone. Uh, There won't be any people paying taxes there uh, won't be people giving the offerings in the church because the church is gone. Uh, it will hurt our economy and the, the um, America will never recover uh, from the rapture of the church. That's when the Antichrist comes in. That's when the real global reset takes place. Uh, you've heard of the one world government, the new world order. That's all going to take place at the same time. Now, Let me read to you something that uh, somebody sent me this book. I teach this on BTN, and sometimes people send me stuff um, about what I'm teaching. This is from a a gentleman, uh, PhD, Alan Walker is his name. I do not know him, but I have read his book. And um, and he talks about uh, the things that are going to happen. And I want to read you some of these things because a lot of people believe Uh, or a lot of people are talking about and trying to um, figure out whether America is involved in uh, prophecy, the end time. Um, There's nothing in the Bible that talks about the United States. There's nothing in the Bible that talks about America. Uh, What we do know, as Hilton Sutton used to call it, is conjecture. And... um, He said we shouldn't do that, but he himself did it because he referred to the United States being in the Bible when it refers to the young lions, and the young lions would be Canada, United States, New Zealand, because we were all the product of Great Britain. Uh, Great Britain is the lion, and we're the young lions, but there's nothing in the Scripture about that, and that's what I'm more interested in, is what does the Bible say? It doesn't talk about America, it doesn't talk about the United states and and this uh, gentleman says the, U, the USA is not specifically mentioned in prophecy because I know there are ministries that teach this, so I don't want you to be <laughs> confused. Uh, <clears throat> america if if America would like to be involved in the end times, it'll have to continue in peace, prosperity, and blessing. It'll have to be the primary supporter of Israel. To abandon Israel would incur the judgment of God prior to the tribulation. Mercy. To remain a key player in the world, uh, then in America would have to defeat Russia, be destroyed by Russia, be destroyed as prophetical Babylon, Revelation 18 experience a financial collapse, and go bankrupt as a nation. And that'll happen after the rapture of the church. To be merged with the European Union and become a part of the new world order. Now this is all, uh, he is saying that this is what America would have to do um, or will do after the rapture of the church, that America will not survive as the nation that we know and love today after the rapture of the church. That America will join all nations opposing Israel at Armageddon. Well, we don't think that way. We don't feel that way about America. and We, we want America to stay around. And uh, but, <clears throat> but America has changed so much. And they use the terminology, America is a providential nation. Well, what does that mean? You know, in the founders, they used to talk about uh, the providential God or providence. It's our providence to be uh, a Christian nation and blah, blah, blah. Well, well, providence is the uh, decision of the nation. It's not necessarily the decision of God. There's only one nation in the Bible that God cut covenant with, and that was Israel. God chose Israel. America chose God. There is a difference. Now we have chosen God and we, as they say in the the teachings, that we are a providential nation. Uh, What does that mean? It means that we believe that our divine providence is in God. Well, the Bible says any nation that uh, blesses the Lord and that any nation that makes the Lord their God will be blessed of God. So you, we, we've, been, we've been riding this blessing. And of course in the scripture it tells us that if we are Christ's, then we're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And the promise to Abraham was he'd be heir of the world. But America has not kept its end of the, of the bargain. We have deflected, we have um, sinned, we have uh, gone our own way. But, uh, you know, in Romans it says if the church is not careful, he he reminds the church, he says, now, you know, uh, Israel uh, was my choice. But he said, they rejected me and rebelled against me. And uh, he he talks about the uh, troubles that Israel has experienced because of their rejection of Messiah and their rebellion and all that. And he said... You know, you you Gentiles uh, are grafted in through Christ, and he said, if you follow the same path uh, as Israel, he said, I can take you out like I took them out. So there's no guarantee. I, I want to be careful how I say this, how you understand it. There's no guarantee. Um, God doesn't owe us anything because. He did not cut covenant with him. He did not cut covenant with us. He cut covenant with Israel. And yet we have made our nation a providential nation by confession, by what we believe. We we serve God. We're committed to God. And as long as we continue in that, then we can reap the blessings. As long as we keep the promise, as long as we keep doing what the scripture says, then God will continue to bless us. But after the rapture of the church, after the church is re- removed, the church is the stabilizing factor. The church is the restrainer. Yeah. All that will be gone. Yeah. So there's no, nobody knows exactly what's going to happen uh, to America. And I'm not trying to scare you or be negative, but I want to show you what we have to do, what the Bible says that we should do. Go over to Second uh, Timothy again chapter 2, and let's look at verse 15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now underline that and say it out loud. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now first of all, you've got to know that you're, you're dealing with truth. Jesus said you shall know the truth, not a relevant truth, Not your truth, not my truth, but the truth. You shall know the truth. And the truth that you know, the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of the truth that you know, will make you free. But if you ever depart from the truth, you'll get off into error. There have been a lot of things that have happened in our country, in our nation, around the world, and even in the church. We started out in truth. I have noticed it's almost um, scary. Some of our greatest teachers of revelation, uh, of truth, of knowledge, they seem to be, you know, uh, pushing the limits. They're pushing to get more truth. They're pushing to get a deeper truth. Remember years ago there was a move of God called the deeper life the deeper life. Well, Jesus said, I am (laughs) the way, the truth, and the life. It don't get any deeper than Jesus. But let's keep pushing. We might get some revelation that we haven't had before. And any truth carried to the extreme becomes error. And sometimes we pushed the truth to the extreme and the, you know, average Christian does not know when the truth stopped and the error started that's why Paul said here to Timothy Timothy he said you need to study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that need not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth don't take my word for it don't take pastors uh, 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 Philip and Michelle's word for it take, find out for yourself yeah. what the Bible says study it for yourself the Bible is of no private interpretation uh, you know the the Bible says the purest way to know the Scriptures is to measure everything by the Scripture, and the Bible will support itself. Amen. 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 Now uh, let let me read you something. I I don't want to bore you, or, or keep. I keep this is a little file folder that I keep. I haven't gotten to the place where I can digitally. it on my phone or iPad so I just keep it in a folder the old-fashioned way of holding on to stuff and these are all prophecies that I have heard uh, over the last several years and I keep them and I go back and read them every once in a while to see if they came to pass and I have to tell you most of them have not most of them did not come to pass I'm concerned that America is not being politicized being deceived into running after politics. I watched a TV program um, before the 2020 election and there was uh, President Trump sitting on the front row of this church and the pastor and his wife and the wife walked out and pointed her finger at President Trump and said, thus saith the Lord, you will be reelected. Now you can debate all day long if you want to about whether the election was stolen or not. You're not going to recognize Biden as your president and Trump's still president. But the truth of the matter is, legally and every other way, he is not the president. And wasn't reelected as the president. But there are people today, especially conspiracy theorists, that will fight you and argue and debate with you. Well, he's going to be reinstated. Whoa, we'll know in the next few days or not whether he's going to be reinstated or indicted. <laughs> I mean, you know, why, why do you want to go there right. to, to protect yourself, to prove yourself? And um, I, I've, there's a lot of stuff in here that I have seen that has not come to pass. It's like <laughs> I was flying to Israel with Brother Summerall one time. It's a 12-hour flight from New York to Tel Aviv. And uh, he started telling me about all of the men that he knew all the way back to Wigglesworth and all the way up to the present. So I thought, oh, I wish I had a recorder, but I didn't. And so I tried to remember it all. But I did ask him a question. I said, I'd like to ask you a question about it. I won't mention the names. Uh, So-and-so prophesied this and -and so-and-so prophesied that. He said, who was it? I said, well, I really don't want to say who it was. He said, who was it? I said, okay, and I told him the name of the, of the minister. He said, ah. He said, his prophecies don't ever come to pass. Now, if I told you who it was, you'd be shocked. His prophecies don't ever come to pass. But he said, now, if Brother Hagin had said it, you could bank on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he didn't believe much. And I asked another person about, you know, so-and-so prophesied to you several times. I said, What whatever became of that prophecy that they prophesied over you? I said, Did it come to pass? No, in all due respect, and the Bible says not to despise prophesying, but in all due respect, he he's prophesied to me lots of times, and he said none of it ever comes to pass. Well, why do we want to defend that? I mean, in the Bible, they stoned them. If the prophecy didn't come to pass, we're going to have your funeral. I'm not advocating that, you understand. But why why do we want to? So let me read you just a, a, a few, if you if you got time. We've got a few more minutes. This is concerning. Now, have you ever heard uh, the third great awakening is taking place right now? But you've got to know what an awakening is. Uh, here, I looked uh, up the first awakening was 1730 to 1740. Jonathan Edwards. Revivals. Salvations. The second great awakening from 1800 to 1870 and that was where we saw much manifestation of the holy spirit now listen to this the post millennial belief that the second coming of christ will occur after mankind has perf- has reformed the entire earth it was affiliated with the social gospel mus- movement which applied Christianity to social issues. That's what I see the church has been doing. They have been uh, bowing to the feet of political candidates and political people. And i tell you who was the first to open the door and invite the church in, and that was Ronald Reagan. I, I was invited to the White House on two occasions to sit in, in the briefing room with him because he wanted to address the evangelicals. He wanted to be uh, friends with the church and evangel. Of course, the whole purpose of all that is to get votes. Yeah. So we're going to, uh, you know, invite you to our uh, weenie roast or whatever. And we're going to have you, <laughs> we want you to wear this lapel pin. And you'd be surprised how many gullible Christians in uh, flocked. I mean, they, by the thousands, even websites were set up. and I, They asked me if I want to be on one, and I said no, and they keep sending me stuff, and I just unsubscribe. But it's like, oh, man, we know the president, and he's done this, or we know the senator, or we're infatuated with that kind of stuff. Do you remember uh, back in the 70s, I think it was, when there was a petition... Alleged petition floated around the churches uh, that Madeline Murray O'Hare had filed a petition with the FCC to stop Christian broadcasting on the air. Does anybody remember that? Yeah, you do, I know. I I had people come to our church two or three times a year wanting me to get the congregation to sign this petition and want me to sign it. And I just kept putting them off because... I wasn't sure there was a petition. So, Stephen Strange, who founded Charisma Magazine, he went up to the FCC in Washington, D.C., knocked on the door and went in there. Of course, he had an appointment. Colloquial expression. He knocked on the door and said, I'm so-and-so, and I have come. Have you seen this petition? Uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare uh, filed a suit against the uh, FCC to stop christian broadcasting in america (laughs) and the person said "Uh, come with me please took them into a room a warehouse millions and millions of those letters petitions stacked up to the ceiling they estimated over a million dollars worth of postage was spent signing this document sending it to the fcc to stop her petition from taking Christian television off uh, the air. And they told him, Sir, there never has been a petition, nor is there a petition from her or anybody else to stop Christian broadcasting. We admire you Christians' sensitivity and your tenacity to stand up for your faith, but you ought to examine the facts before you react. Hello? There's a lot of stuff out there that Christians get all upset about and all up in arms about, and we're going to do this and we're going to do that, but they don't bother to check out uh, the facts or the information. Okay. Uh, End time uh, time revival. Uh, I've heard this, and maybe you have too. I'm trying to find the area that uh, uh, underlined. Okay, let me flip over here. Yeah. Reports of great numbers of new believers coming out of Africa, India, China. But like the great awakenings in England, U.S. U.S., the mid-1800s, these are not mentioned in the Bible. I, I've always heard it, and maybe you have too. Uh, there's, there's coming a great a harvest like the world has not seen. Uh, but there's only one place that you can find in the Bible where there's a great innumerable harvest. And that's in Revelation chapter 7. And that's when all of the saints are standing before the throne of God, and and the the elder asked the angel, said, "Who are these people? Because they're coming out every nation, every denomination, every race, every what? Who who are these people? Now this is Revelation seven. After Revelation four, the church is no longer on the earth. The church is in heaven, and these people are up there before the throne of God. It's not the church." And the elder says, who are these people? The angel says, those (laughs) are the saints that came out of the great tribulation period, and they have had their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, me. 144,000 Jewish evangelists have been preaching the gospel of the kingdom. All seven years of the great tribulation period, and at the end of that period, everybody that got saved is now up at the throne of God, God. without number. That just adds to the church. We've already been up there yeah. for, <laughs> for three chapters, <laughs> four, Revelation 4 to Revelation 7. Okay. There'll be a great harvest before the rapture. If this is true, where is it in the Bible? It's not there. Uh, we do see the results of that, but it's not. The hardest thing for us to realize is God is not an American. He's not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. And everybody that's going to heaven is not American. They're going to be people from every race, <laughs> every color, every ethnicity. They're gonna be people from all over the world. If if you don't like a particular race of people, then you better stay home. You better you better not go to heaven. You're gonna see people up there from China, from Africa, from India, from South America, from you know, you, you heard the joke about the two guys who were arguing whether uh Jesus was black or white. And they argued and argued and argued. And so one day they both died at the same time. They went up to the throne of God and they said, there's Jesus sitting on the throne. I went up to him. He turned around and said, Buenos dias, senor. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> okay. What is kingdom now? Kingdom now teaching. Huh. Let me read you this. Kingdom Now claims that Jesus cannot return until His enemies have been put under His feet. Hmm. They claim that God has lost control of His creation and we have to get it back before He can return. Kingdom Now, the explanation is that the rapture is nothing more than people of God being caught up in rapturous feelings. Mm. Not caught up bodily into heaven, but emotionally. The prophecies to Israel that pertain to the church is known as replacement theology. That means the church has replaced Israel, which is not true. And I want to read you a scripture. Uh, the kingdom now and and you will hear them talk about the seven mountains of influence, and that every Christian should take over and control their sphere of influence if you're an engineer you should you should take over and get the engineering um, people saved if you're a carpenter, you should get the uh, construction industry bring it under subjection to jesus if you're musicians you you go into every man's uh, area and you get all the Uh, musicians saved if you're uh, military you get all of the military saved and then Jesus will come back after you've gotten the earth and everybody in it subdued then he's going to come back Um, so uh, the second coming of Christ not the rapture will be when he Jesus not men defeat his enemies and put all things under his feet and not of one who comes to an earth already cleaned up for him ready to rule hmm. um, dominion theology uh, is another erroneous teaching and they use the basic scriptures Every, everything's based on scripture error all use scripture uh, jesus told peter said upon this uh Uh, I'll build my church on revelation of who I am, and I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And uh, so they base it on that, that we are to take dominion. I had a guy sitting at my table, and I'll, I'll quit reading all that stuff. And he was sitting at our table. He had filmed a TV program with us a few weeks ago. And we were talking about the rapture. And uh, Because a lot of people are teaching on the rapture now. TV, churches, etc. And I was talking about the rapture. And he just stopped. He put his silver word down and he went. You rapture people. That's the most immature and selfish doctrine I've ever heard. I thought, wow, he's a guest at my table. And he just flat slapped me in the face. And I, I didn't think quick enough. I wanted to say, you know, Paul the Apostle wrote in Thessalonians about the revelation of the rapture of the church. And he said, comfort one another with these words. Yeah. And I was flabbergasted at the, at the use of his language when he said, it's immature and self-centered. And then he followed it up with. It's not about the rapture; it's about building the kingdom. And I thought, okay, now I know where he's coming from. He believes in kingdom now, so he's out building the kingdom. And they refer to, and and the Bible says that Jesus will set up his own kingdom. You know, he'll build the kingdom. Acts chapter three, verse twenty-one. Now let's go to verse 19, Acts Acts 3, 19. Repent ye therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. Now this is what the kingdom now people use because they're saying Jesus can't come back until we restore and the restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. My brother and sister, that was not written to the church, that was written to Israel. Everything that God spoke prophetically to Israel will be restored. Not the church. We don't have to subdue the earth and all of the kingdoms for Jesus to come back. He'll come back when the Father tells him to come back. And he will set up his kingdom. Okay, I'm getting to the, the, the point of this thing. Okay. Then what should we be doing, Pastor Caldwell, to avoid all of this erroneous doctrine and not be deceived? And What did, what did uh, Jude mean when he said, contend for the faith? Now, you can't get in a fist fight with people. You can't sue people. You can't, <laughs> Brother Copeland said one time, he was so tired of, of uh, all of the arguing and stuff in the church. He said, you know, I, I'd like for us to just have one big free-for-all fight and then we could <laughs> repent later. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, you get to the point where uh, you just like to slap somebody, but you can't. So what are you going to do? Um, you have to rightly divide the word of truth. The word of truth. The word of truth. You have to rightly divide the word of truth. Now go to 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Notice, did you get that? At His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure. Sound doctrine. So what are we supposed to be doing? You have to preach. You have to preach. You have to preach. Jesus' ministry consisted of preaching, teaching, and healing. You have to preach sound doctrine. Well, to preach sound doctrine, you've got to know sound doctrine. So that's why you have to study, to show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. Then you go over to, let's see, let's go over to, um, yeah, let's keep reading. Verse 4, because they'll turn away their ears from the truth, be turned to fables. But you watch in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. And Paul goes on and says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. So those are, those are adjectives there. Those are subtopics that you have to factor in there. You have to fight a good fight. A good fight's the one you win. And we've already won because Jesus has already won for us. And in him, we have our life. I have finished my course. We have to finish our course, what God called you to do. And uh, I have kept the faith. So you, Jude said, contend for the faith. I've kept the faith. And uh, I love my brother and my sister, And but uh, I'm going to contend for the faith. Okay. Then uh, in 2 Timothy 4, uh, 1 through 5, he says to continue in what you've learned over in verse 14. Continue in what you've learned, which you've been assured of, knowing of whom you've learned it. So you have to to make sure that what you've learned is correct. The Lord spoke to me several years ago and said uh, what I call my proverb. He says, what you know, you know. What you think you know, you don't. And what you don't know, you will. So what you know, you know. What you think you know, you might not. But what you don't know, you will, if you keep studying Okay, then let's go back to Jude, and we'll conclude here. We'll go back to where we, we started. Go back to Jude and read verse 20. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Hmm. Okay, I know I'm in the last days perilous times will come. I'm going to rightly divide the word of truth, which means you just can't take anything that comes down the pike. Study it out yourself. Then you rightly divide the word of truth. Then you continue in what you've learned. Don't accept every new doctrine that comes down the pike. Being assured, you've got to be assured. You've got to know beyond a shadow of a doubt That what you've learned is correct. My grandmother born in 1903. My grandfather, her husband, was born in 1889. They were married for 65, 70 years. And uh, she had to put grandfather in a nursing home because she just couldn't take care of him. He was almost ninety at the time. She was ninety-three. He he taught her in school. He was his one room schoolhouse down the country in Louisiana. And uh, he was eighteen, she was fifteen, and he taught. He taught taught everybody. And then after she graduated, they got married. So <clears throat> we were walking down the hall, and, and she had a hold of my hand. She said, "Grand," I could tell she was tormented. So, but she couldn't take care of him, so she'd take him to this. Uh, it was a kind of a daycare, which was really good, right around from their house. She'd take him there every morning, and. Uh, And she'd spend all day with him, and then she'd take him home at night. So they were still together, but she said, Grandson, I don't understand. God said he wouldn't put more on us than we can bear. And in our family, you don't correct your elders. And I thought, how am I going to tell her? That's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say I won't put any more on you than you can bear. In 2 Corinthians 10, I think it is. It said... (laughs) Some of y'all look at me like, uh. <laughs> it says, God will not allow you to be tempted of that other than that which you are able to overcome or to deal with. He will not allow... Now, I know I've heard people say, they prayed to God. God, don't put any more on me that I can handle. And there are people that believe that the wrath of God and the temptations and all that stuff is the way God child trains you. And so they said, you know, God, I, you know what I can handle and what I can't. So don't put any more on me than I can bear. And that's what she said. I know God, God won't put any more on us than we can bear. So I debated a minute and I walked a little further with her. And I said, because she had heard that scripture misquoted for 70 years that they went to their church. I said, grandmother, uh, <clears throat> the Bible doesn't say that. She just looked at me. I said, the Bible says that God will not allow you to be tempted. And the Bible teaches that Satan is the tempter, not God. The Bible says God will not allow you to be tempted above that that you are able to deal with so that you can overcome it. And we walked along, and I, I just it, what I said to her just went right over her head. She didn't understand any of it. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, now there's a prime example of the scripture that says you've let the traditions of men and the doctrines of men make the word of God no effect. It had no effect on her because she didn't understand it because she had heard just the opposite. You know, that's, that's called brainwashing. That's control. You, you teach somebody something over and over for centuries and they just they, they believe that a lot of our colloquial slang in america a lot of the stuff that we do and say uh is is not rooted in anything except uh slang or tradition or or whatever you've heard the story about the the guy and his wife they were getting ready to cook christmas dinner and and, and she asked her husband said honey would you uh, cut the ham in half because i want to cook it and so he said okay he cut the ham in half he said uh why, why, do you, why do we cut the ham in half? We've been doing this for years. Why do we? She, she said, I don't know. I just did it because my mother did it. So they called her mother and said, why do we cut the ham in half? She said, I don't know. I just did it because my mother did it. Now they're talking to grandmother. So the husband got on and said, I want to know why we cut the ham in half. She said, well, I don't know why y'all are cutting the ham in half. She said, I cut the ham in half because my pot was too small. But we made a tradition out of it. (laughs) When Anna Camacho used to work for us, one of our missionaries, he was Cuban and she was Costa Rican. He'd been to Costa Rica and he'd been a missionary down there and he came back with his wife. And uh, we hired her as a receptionist. And she couldn't even speak English. No English at all. But she was such a precious girl. (laughs) And she learned English watching TV different things. And so I asked her, I said, Anna, what is the most complicated part of learning the English language? She said, your slang. I said, our slang? She said, yeah, I'm a fixin' too. You're a fixin' too. So <laughs> said, that's not English. And, and I've probably told this more than I should have, but y- y- you ever heard Anybody say, your your family might have said, talking about little Johnny or little Susie, why he's the spitting image of his daddy. Why he's the spitting image of his daddy. She's the spitting image of her mama. So I asked a lady in our church one time, she was an educator, I said, would you look that up, do a little research for me and find out where that came from? So she sent sent me back a, uh, a paper and said, here's where it came from. She said, that is southern colloquial slang for spirit and image. Spirit and image? So, how did spirit and image become spitting image? Right. Grandma sat on the porch for a hundred years and, <laughs> and she started out saying, He's the spirit and image of his daddy. and our old slow southern tongue, it just degenerated to he's the spirit and image, spitting image, spit image of his daddy. That's where a lot of that stuff came from. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, let's close this up. It needs to be closed up. There you go. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. What are we talking about? Contending for the faith. How are you going to survive all of the stuff that's going on? And this is not a negative confession. And I'm not a, 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 a what, what do they call it, a, Oh, predestination preacher, Calvinism, fatalism, everything happens as the will of God. But the Bible says that this is the beginning of sorrows and it has to come to pass. <laughs> the world's not falling apart, it's falling in place. This is what the Bible says. But what are we supposed to be doing? We're salt and light. Yes, God. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to be helping people, telling people. But but listen, you're supposed to be praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost, why? It builds you up. It edifies you. If any of y'all work in an office where it's just total negative atmosphere all the time, and you don't really you don't really realize it until you try to get out of it or go home and you think, what? And the world's wrong with that. It's it's depressing. It's and a lot of people live in that, and they, they grow up in it or whatever, and uh, it's it's destructive. You have to build yourself up. Yeah. Well, now, what the world does is they go get drunk or they have a cocktail or they go watch some movie or something. They try to, But you build yourself up by praying in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. And then last, verse 21, keep yourself in the love of God. You have to keep yourself in it. You have to keep yourself in the love of God. Say that out loud. Keep yourself in the love of God. You have, you, have to, you have to contend for the faith. You have to keep yourself. You have to study to show yourself approved of to God. I, I have to watch myself, because, and Ginny will, ooh, I've gone over my time. Ginny will uh, correct me if I don't correct myself. But I hear a lot of stuff on, on our own network. VTN, the Victory Television Network, but I hear a lot of stuff that's not victory and it's pitiful, and I, if I could, I'd cancel their contract and get them off, but uh, Jim, our general manager says, you can't cancel the contract. That's what contracts are for. And I said, you said you want to minister to everybody. I said, yeah, I do. He said, well, that's what that denomination believes, and that's what they believe, and, you know, they believe God gets your attention by knocking you in the head between the 20 eyes with the two before and blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of rise up, and you have to keep yourself in the love of God. You love those people. God loves them. And they, they may not have a revelation that you have, but then they may have a revelation of something else that you don't have. And you know, we think we get so smart and we think we know everything, and we really don't. So you have to continue in what you've learned. Studies show yourself approved, your salt and your light. Find somebody that you can minister to. Find somebody that doesn't know what you know. But be gentle with them. Don't destroy them or tell them they're going to hell. You know, Norval Hayes said one time, you might remember Norval Hayes? Norval Hayes said one time, he said, you better behave yourself even after you get to heaven because if you act up and you're ugly in heaven, God's going to pick you up by the nap of the neck and drop you through a hole into hell. <laughs> that's, that's what he said. I couldn't believe it. I didn't believe it because it ain't true, but that's, you know, a lot of people say stuff like that. Okay. Thank you, uh, Pastor Michelle, and thank you all for being here. Let's everybody stand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your kindness. Father, I pray your blessing upon every member of this body and everybody here tonight. Redeem their time. Uh, Cause... Uh, what the Holy Spirit has revealed to them to be a revelation to them to edify them, build them up keep them from being deceived I pray Uh, continue to anoint them to be salt and light we just thank you Father that you're going to guide us and uh, take us through these last perilous times and we're just going to continue to grow and be more light and more salt hallelujah Jesus' name. Amen.